Welcome to Office Hours, a part of Sport Talks with Sport Profs. I am Dan the Coach Berlin, joined by my esteemed colleague, David Singh, senior writer for Sportsnet. Um, well, brought a little smile to your face, David, as it should. And uh, this, we have a very, very special guest joining our show today. Um, he is one of the foremost sports reporters in the land, in Canada, um, former colleague of mine, very proud more so to be able to call him my friend, as someone who represents all things purple, whether it be the Bishop Skaters, or as you can see, his Minnesota Vikings. Uh, welcome, Arash Madani, to the program. Arash, great to have you here. Yeah, great to be here, fellas. How are we doing? Well, you know, doing pretty well. And I guess just to sort of throw that question back at you, you know, we've obviously had to look for ways to connect with an audience virtually. Our audience in many ways are students, you know, and finding meaningful ways to keep them engaged. This is somebody who probably traveled more in a week than most of us travel, you know, <laughs> in a lifetime. Like, how have you been able to adapt? Uh, what, what's your process been like through, through the pandemic? Well, I mean, you have no choice in the matter, right? I mean, that, that choice is being made for you. It's funny, I was just, one of my busiest months of the year, the busiest month of my year is October with baseball postseason. Um, last year, for instance, I did not only the wild card game in Oakland between the Rays and the Athletics, but then straight to LA, I did the divisional series with the Nationals and the Dodgers, onto the NLCS, onto the World Series. It's something like 20 flights between the end of September and Halloween last year. And now I haven't been on a plane since March. So life is altogether different as I knew it. Yet at the same time, there's, they're still playing the games, as Bill Parcells likes to say, and, and we're, we have to cover them. So we're just doing it from studio. I mean, there are a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of Zoom availabilities that, uh, that we get on. But in terms of getting to touch it and feel it and talk to players, talk to coaches, talk to scouts, talk to, you know, get an idea of, of the feel of what's happening, which you especially get when you're around the ballpark, as David would tell you, um, that's missing, that's gone. And um, so I, I just think for the viewer in this case, when we're doing Blue Jay games, um, I don't want to speak for Shulman and Buck, but they, they'd probably tell you the same thing, that you don't have as much of a connection as to, you know, and feel of what's happening down there at the stadium as you otherwise would. Arash, what changes have you had to make interviewing somebody virtually versus in person? Well, for the most part, you don't have any one-on-one -on -one time. You know, the, the team will make a player or two and the manager available every day. And you get on a Zoom call with everybody else. So whereas in the past, you could kind of talk to somebody about something and get a, you know, on or off the record and get a perspective on it and get an understanding of it. Now suddenly everything, not only is Big Brother watching, but everything is formal and everybody else is, is, is also watching too. Now as the rights holder, the Jays have been pretty good about getting us some players here and there one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and you have, you know, I have cell phone numbers of some guys that I can text, but you don't want to go down that road too much either. You know, it, you want to really be uh, careful uh, as to how many times you go down that road. So it's, it's been a total adjustment. It's been a total balancing act um, in terms of how you get your information. I'm interested to know, Arash, you know, your, just your perspective on the current situation with sports. I mean, you're, you know, you're very vocal 
you're, you're not one to hide your opinion. Certainly as reporters, you, we sort of look at, you know, just towing the line, presenting the facts, which you do, which you obviously do as, a, as part of your job. But I'm interested to get your perspective, whether it be social issues, the fact there's no fans, like now that you've had, like, I think we've all had enough time, six to eight months to look at this situation right now. Just interested to know what your perspective is. I mean, there, that's, there's so many layers to that, Dan. I think the social justice thing is so different than the no fans in the building thing. On the no fans in the building thing, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated about 2021. When will the NBA start and when will the NHL start? I know the NHL has said no sooner than June, uh, January 1st and that the NBA is thrown around Martin Luther King Day. When you construct a collective bargaining agreement under a, under a business model that's going to have paying customers in your building 41 nights a year with corporate suites, with concessions, with paid tickets, and suddenly that's gone. Whew. I mean, the Chicago Cubs are talking about, you know, they have 81 home games. They're talking about losses around $150 million. And that sounds crazy, but then you start doing some of the numbers and you're like, yeah, that actually makes sense. Yet, you still have to, if you're going to play an 82-game season, you're going to have to pay the players the same. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this is going to unfold. The NFL makes sense. Um, thanks to that team from Wisconsin that nobody wants to uh, address by name, uh, they're publicly owned. So we know their numbers and every NFL team gets a check from the broadcasters for $296 million. Their salary cap is 198. So it costs about a hundred million dollars to run a franchise. NFL teams have either broken even or depending on how their front office works, maybe even made a profit before they sold the ticket, before they sold parking pass before they sold a hot dog or a Coke or a t-shirt. So the NHL model is not that the NBA model is not that, although the NBA's broadcast deal is very lucrative. So I'm very intrigued to see how this is all going to unfold uh, when next season starts for these leagues. Arash, you talked about, yeah, you talked about next season and at sports that in my department in the feature writing department, we, are constantly thinking and kind of worrying because we don't know what's what sports are going to be like next year. So we're thinking, all right, how do we attack this from a storytelling standpoint? Uh, I'd be interested to know if you've had those thoughts, if you've had those conversations for your own work, like what kind of, you know, video features are you going to tell? What, what are you going to be doing basically in 2021? Have you thought about that? Does that worry you at all? Well, I haven't thought about 2021 yet uh, just because I've been so kind of engrossed in the baseball season and now the postseason. But I think, David, a lot of from mid-March to, shoot, end of June, uh, middle of July, we're figuring it out on the fly. You know, what's going on? What's happening? And so many people were caught up in, all right, let's discuss when sports is going to return and, and what it's going to look like. I didn't go down that rabbit hole. I, my, at that point, I was trying to figure out what is some content, what is some somewhat compelling content that somebody sitting at home would want to listen to. And for me, a lot of that was, uh, was, was interviews uh, from Christine Sinclair to Donovan Bailey to Mark Cuban, um, getting different perspectives on the situation we're in, how they're dealing with it, but also story time. 
and it was kind of that three-pronged uh, three-pronged approach. Now, uh, I think so much of December is going to be looking ahead to the new year. I mean, we're still going to have, you know, in baseball, some kind of free agency. We still have a football season um, that's going on. We still have some live sports, whereas um, from March to mid-July, we had, or mid-June, we just had replays of sports. But um, but I'm once we know when the seasons are going to start, we'll probably have a one month to six week ramp up because you know you got to get players in training camps if you're going to have some kind of preseason. Um, I just think December, other than football, is going to be really quiet, and then by January we're going to know if this thing's going to get off the ground or not. I just want to follow up to that. You know, Rash, I'm interested you know, to get your take. I mean, I think a lot of the narrative, we, we talk to our students about this all the time. What's, what's the narrative? And how do we sort of debunk maybe traditional narratives? I think one of the narratives during the pandemic and, you know, and it's a fair one is how difficult, you know, a time this is because we're all mm -hmm. changing, making adjustments as you put it on the fly, like we're heading into great uncertainty. But I'd, I'm interested to know as somebody, you know, who I've known professionally and personally for as long as we have, yeah. what's been the best part about this? for you how have you managed this in a way where you can reflect because i think part of this is having more time when you're not jumping from flight to flight from stadium to stadium that in that in that moment where there's actually some silence where there's actually some time like what are you going to take away from this experience on a personal level I, I think one of the most interesting parts was everybody everybody is just caught up in their own life and going 100 miles an hour and then bam everyone hits a brick wall everybody everywhere stopped unless you were like in the hand sanitizer business or the you know Lysol wipes business um, I can't imagine what their lives are like either um, but what became interesting in April and May was you could call somebody and not only did they answer they were in no rush to get off the phone because they didn't have anything to do either and it's funny, we were, I was just listening uh, before I came on, Mark Shapiro was on Tim and Sid a couple of days ago. I was just listening to what he had to say. And I just remember when Mark, I was co-hosting Tim and Sid one week when one of them took a breather and we had Shapiro on and this was like peak lockdown. This is when the last dance was going and the last dance was our idea of live sports. And I just remember Mark's voice and just how, like it took a toll on people. And then you just realize, okay, well, everyone's in the same boat. You know, he's trying, Mark's trying to figure out how are we gonna make this work? What are the scenarios in which this can happen where everything is changing so quickly all the time? Um, so I, I think what I'm gonna take away from this is, one, you can actually have real conversations with people. Two, we are as, as humans, as professionals, we are capable of adapting and changing and adjusting on the fly. Everybody talks about routines and can control what you can control, all that stuff. I was thinking about this the other day when they, uh, yesterday, when they changed the NFL game, uh, they bumped the Raiders and the Bucks out of Sunday night because they're not sure about Oakland because of Trent Brown. And I'm like, all these coaches who for years, we're militant about routine and we, we can't get out of this and that. Look, everything we've ever known is now upside down. Everything we've ever known has been thrown out the window. 
we've all had to adjust in certain ways. And whoever, um, whoever adjusts the best, uh, I guess, is going to come out of this, come out of this better. Well, just as a follow-up to that insight, Harash, you know, what do you think in, in the sport media, what do you think are ultimately going to be the lasting impressions of this that are going to carry on? When we talk about change and adaptability, we also talk about best practices and new practices that will have, you know, stickiness, so to speak. What do you see as kind of the future? And it doesn't have to be like 20 years. I'm talking about how you see coming out of a pandemic and what do you think will ultimately be the future of how things are done? Great question, Dan, and I don't know. The answer to that is I don't have the first damn clue. Uh, well, let me ask you even just related to your own job, because okay. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like for do, instance, do you see yourself flying from city to city to city again? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, here's what I hope. Look, I bet the pro sports teams out of this um, are going to want nothing more than a shut, shut down their locker rooms, close their locker rooms. My fear of all this is access, which was already bad, is going to get really bad and worse. That um, they're just going to bring, you know, are, are the days of scrums in a locker room over? That's what I wonder. Are the days that I can just walk in and someone's sitting there um, chilling and I can go over and talk to them, are those days <clears throat> over? Will I, for instance, with baseball, will I just be able to hang out beside the dugout at 3.30 or 4 o'clock and as somebody walks by, have a conversation with them? I don't know. Or is everything just going to be done over Zoom or some kind of video conference or whatever? That, that's what I wonder, is that how many organizations, leagues, whatever, are going to use this as some kind of excuse or catalyst or we're evolving or whatever you know, nonsense they want to say and make that happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I hope what I just outlined doesn't happen, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. David, do you want to jump in on that? I know access is such a big, big topic when it comes to being able to do our jobs as journalists. Yeah, no, we've, we've talked about that a bunch of times in class. And I kind of want to bring the conversation back to what you said earlier um, about people just wanting to get on the phone and talk. Uh, I did a story in the summertime on Robbie Alomar and Omar Vizquel. And it was, I interviewed about 10 people for it. And each person would not get off the phone. Like they just were, they, were, they all said they were doing nothing. They were sitting at home. Mm -hmm. And ordinarily you'd only get like five minutes with these mm -hmm. people, right? And yeah, the interviews ended up being some of them 20, 30 minutes each because they had um, nothing to do. So, but I wanted to ask you as well, I mean, the lack of access does affect this now, especially going forward, but what was your approach to building relationships with athletes? Because you also mentioned that you, you know, you have some numbers you can call and you've been around the industry for so long, you've built up these relationships. How do you approach that facet of your job where it's off camera, you know, off the record, you're just building and forging a relationship with a figure, whether it's an executive or a player? Well, I think first and foremost, um, we have to remember that everybody is a human being. We're like with athlete, like baseball player, I keep bringing up baseball just because it's October and this is what I'm in right now. We're just dudes, right? They, they, they're, they're high-performance athletes. They throw a ball much faster. They run faster. They hit harder than any of us ever will, even you, Dan. Um, but ultimately, 
they're just guys. Like I remember one day, um, cold, we were we were at Yankee Stadium. It was a Sunday morning day game. Colby Rasmus always would come out early just to see where the sun is, just to get a feel for it. And I just kind of sitting there beside the dugout watching the day go by. And Colby just looked at me and he said, he said, uh, shouldn't you be somewhere watching football right now? And I said, no, I got to stand around here and watch you guys. Um, we just started talking about football. And then that, cut, that led to something else that led to his family, that led to this, that led to that. We're just people in the end. And so it's, it's like any kind of relationship, be it a work colleague, be it a friend, be it a family member, whatever, is, you know, trust doesn't just happen. It's not like after that, if that, that wasn't the first conversation I had with Colby. It took a while to get there. And it's not like I asked him for his phone number after the first media scrum we did. It's after you have a little bit of a rapport. And with some people you have that, with some people you don't. I mean, I've had very poor relationships and very good relationships and a lot in, a lot in between. Um, so it's just a matter of so, sometimes they just want a sounding board, you know? Um, one of my favorite things is when an athlete or a coach or an administrator or an executive comes over to me because I'm safe. I'm the UN. I'm neutral. I don't have a, I don't have a horse in this race. And the, whenever the, the first thing I hear is, you want to know how bleeped up this place is? I'm like, yes, I'm getting something today that's going to be juicy. And sometimes for those people, after a while, they're like, well, come over here. They're like, you didn't tweet that. You didn't report that. I'm like, no, man, we were just talking. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, I got to be there every day. And some days you, have, you report things and, or you say things and you got to go have a conversation with someone and smooth things over. But to me, the most important thing is trust. If I can, and trust is a two-way street. If somebody tells me something and they're lying to me, um, then that's, uh, that's no good either. Can you actually, do you have any examples of that where maybe you've said something that a player has disagreed with and you've had to go into the clubhouse the next day and have a face-to-face? -face? Cause we've talked about that in class with our students as well. Uh, with Steve Simmons and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was happening a bunch. Um, going old school, uh, Lyle Overbay 10 years ago okay. accused me of trying quote, you are trying to run me out of town. Wow. I'm like, <laughs> me? I'm like, what? He said, he said, yeah. He said, you're, you're trying to run me out of town with these kind of questions. I'm like, Lyle, I am trying to produce three minutes of content. Because if I get three minutes from you, that's 27, that we've gone from a 30 minute show that I got to fill to 27 minutes. That's all I'm doing. So then I went back and I watched the video and I'm like, because some of these guys are, 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 insecure and don't quite understand the, the deal. Um, one issue that I ran into last year was with uh, Vlad Guerrero at the end of the season. Um, and part of it is, um, it was through an interpreter, but with my camera recorder going, he said, you know, I'd never lifted weights before in my career until this oh, yeah. season. And um, I'm excited for this off season because I'm gonna get on this program, blah, blah, blah. Well, so then I, the next day I go on, I said, you know, because I did, it was the last three uh, games on the road. We were in New York. So on the Friday, it was about Bo. 
On the Saturday, it was about Vlad. On Sunday, it was about Biggio. This is their plan for the offseason. This is what they learned as rookies. Well, that one little bit of I've never looked at weights before in my life, mushroom cloud. And I was, they said I made it up. They said I was the liar. They said, you know, and I'm just like, guys, here's the audio. I just hit play. I'm like, what? Like, this wasn't him whispering this to me off the record and I betrayed his trust. We had a six and a half minute interview. And in the interview, this is what he said. So that, and then they're like, well, you're supposed to be on our side. I'm like, I'm on nobody's side. So that, 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 that needed to be uh, ironed out too. I think there's a great opportunity even, Arash, to delve a little deeper into that fine line between, you know, you work for Sportsnet, Rogers owns the Jays, Rogers owns you, whose side are you on? I mean, you cover a home team, you cover the Toronto Blue Jays, which is a- I'm there every day. And you're there every day. I mean, I, I know our audience would love to hear more just about what that's like, the toughest part, the best part, and how you, and how you fit in. Because I think you've already alluded to managing egos, developing trust, getting the story. And so I didn't quite pull the question. Yeah, I mean, I think the question is, give us a, some insight, what, it, what it's like to cover the Jays. Like what yeah. that experience is like and, and how difficult is it? And I, I don't think it's just a Jays thing. I think it's being on a beat of any team when you're around every day. It's a lot of it too is just understanding people. Before, like I don't understand. I try and get a feel of when. What is so and so like? Like I remember Justin Smoke. I could just tell from his body language what kind of mood he was in. If he was going to be approachable, accessible, whatever. Understanding people, where they're at, and I remember. Uh, the year after, so 2017, um, going into the locker room in Dunedin in spring, I went over to Josh Donaldson. I'm like, hey, man, look, you're the MVP. Jays fans want to hear from you a lot. Let's, let's set some parameters on how often can I come to you? And he just looked at me and he said, you'll know the days you can come to me and you know the days that you can't, which was such a, such a Josh Donaldson answer. And it's true. <laughs> So I remember one day I wanted to talk to him in Boston. He walked in. He had his head. He had his headphones on. He had a jacket on. It was dead of heat of summer. Um, he had sunglasses on, and I was standing. I mean, between David and his and his closet door away from him, and he just stared at me and glared at me, and then he went about his stuff. I'm like, okay, well, I guess today is not the day I'm going to talk to Josh. Um, so. So it's a matter of, you know, and some guys, you know, Jay Happ was an interesting one. Um, Jay, when he was engaged, was awesome. But the day before a start, he didn't want to talk at all. Um, so you just, have to, you just have to get to know people's tendencies and whatever individually. Not all, one size does not fit all when you, when you cover a team or a locker room because they're all, in, you know, different individuals. How are you able to hone the, the ability, which I think you're right, I think it's one of the most important soft skills is how to read a room, how to read people. Because when you talk about building trust, you gotta know when to go in, but you also right. have to know when to back off. When you look at that, like, is it an, an innate sense? Is it learned? Like, how, do you, how did you develop that skill? Because I, I think it's one of the most important ones. Well, I have a crazy family, so that helped. Uh, <laughs> growing up, I had to figure everybody out. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was, um, 
before I was at Sportsnet, I had two tours of duty as a PR director for two CFL teams. And so I worked in a locker room. That, that was my office. And, you know, you have dudes from, from the deep south, um, rural Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. You have guys from Saskatoon uh, dressing next to one another. So right away, I got a chance to see how a locker room dynamic can work and how people work. And I learned then, okay, today's not the day to go talk to that guy because he's about to rip somebody's head off. And that's when I'm working for the team, uh, let alone when uh, I'm an outsider. Uh, our students had their first experience with a scrum recently. Okay. And granted, it was, it was via Zoom, so it's not exactly um, a pure, something as pure as you know, you've gone through. But when I think of you, I think of scrums, and I think of you know, quirks in baseball players. My mind goes to Marcus Stroman and what happened a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm just wondering if you could take us through that story, but then also I remember the, qu the question you had to ask was something that you needed to ask because, and I've dealt with this myself, Marcus Stroman doesn't talk to anybody ever, only after his starts. Right. But you had to ask that question. So what advice, could you tell us that story? And then what advice would you give a student who is approaching a scrum and maybe has a question that is not in line with what that subject is talking about. Uh, yeah. Um, so I want to say it was the 2018 season. Uh, it was the last game before the all-star break. It was a Sunday at Fenway park. Uh, it was a hot ass day. Um, and so Monday is the home run derby. Tuesday is the all-star game. Wednesday, mid-July in regular times is literally the quietest day on the sports calendar. There is nothing on. No sports. And still, there's a Sportsnet Central one-hour show that needs to be filled with whatever. So they had a bunch of features ready. And uh, Irfan Gafar, who was at the time a reporter for Sportsnet based out of... Uh, Based out of Vancouver, was going to do a feature on the Vancouver Canadians and the dozens of players that you know this this team, this minor league team, has sent to the Blue Jays. And a lot of the players who go through Vancouver um, have billet families, and it's the first step on their pro journey after they've been drafted or after they've been signed. So along the way, you know, we talked to Kevin Pillar and he talked about what a great time it was in that Bailey Stadium, how special, you know, that, that place is and um, on and on and on it goes. But Stroman refuses to talk other than after his start. So he finishes a start with the Red Sox. The season's gone in the tank for the Blue Jays. It's very obvious. Um, so after, so his scrum begins, they're asking about the game, the start, the pitch, the heat, where this team is at the all-star break, et cetera. And then there's kind of that, that, that pause in the scrum where like, it's kind of like, you know, in the PR guys, any other questions? I just said, Hey, Marcus, um, now that the question, now that the questions about the start are over, um, a reporter in Vancouver is doing a feature about the Vancouver Canadians and the impact that, uh, uh, that it had on players now in the big leagues, especially with the Blue Jays. I'm wondering if you can reflect on your time there in that Bailey Stadium. And Stroman exploded and went off and, you know, not, you know, don't be asking me that and a bunch of F-bombs. And the way it works at Fenway is um, because it's so cramped there, the 
the media backdrop is basically where fans are leaving the stadium. So everybody is seeing and hearing all of this. So that, that's what happened. Um, that's Marcus Stroman. Um, so yeah, um, I, I forget the follow-up question. Oh, for students, like what advice would you give for students who have to do what you did and basically ask questions that are different along, than along the lines of what the subject is talking about? Yeah, I mean, look, this is, that's the first time that I've run into something like that being an issue. Mm -hmm. um, and there have been times where guys haven't wanted to talk about it and they'll just answer it with gritted teeth. And there are sometimes they're like, hey, just come see me tomorrow and we'll talk about that. But often I wouldn't be in that scenario because often I could get a player pregame or set something up with them. But uh, Marcus was pretty unapproachable when it came to myself and a bunch of others who covered the team. And I can imagine, Arash, you know, that's just one of the great <laughs> challenges in trying to do your job. And, you know, it, it's not easy. And then, of course, you get sort of some, you know, blow up like that. And you're like, really? Like, I mean, because like you said, it comes back to the human element. You're just trying to do your job. You're trying to come at it, you know, <laughs> in an in a upfront, straightforward way. That happens sometimes. You know, part of the theme here, too, is talking about covering breaking news. And I know this is something you've had the chance to do. I really like to hear your process and really your keys to being able to be successful when it comes to, you know, sort of how you place importance with breaking news, whether it be having it first and how you sort of strive to get it, or even just your process with how you develop and use your trust and your sources to get stories first. Yeah, I mean, the breaking news thing, there's, there's a lot of kind of elements to it. So in terms of kind of, if you're breaking a story, if you get a tip on something, um, my minimum is that I get it confirmed from two sources that are not connected at all. Um, for instance, uh, I got a tip um, that uh, the Blue Jays have traded Russell Martin to the Dodgers. So... What I ended up doing was I had to get that independently confirmed by two different sources, but it wouldn't be two sources within the Jays organization, for instance. It'd be somebody from the Jays and then somebody else. Um, because the most important thing, guys, is to be right. If you are 99% right, you are 100% wrong. You need to make sure. Yeah, I, if I go and I report tomorrow, Russell Martin has been traded to the Phillies, and the day after he shows up in the Dodgers dugout wearing a Los Angeles uniform, well, what credibility do I have? Who is that? You know, so it's better to not report a story unless you absolutely have it. And one of uh, a, an executive at a competitor once called me a drug addict because I so enjoy the rush of breaking a story and the, the frustration you, there, there have been times I've been beaten on a story that I've had, but I just wasn't comfortable going with it because I didn't have it fully locked down in my heart of hearts. I knew I had it, but I couldn't report it. I couldn't go with it. Um, and then somebody, you know, six hours later, the next day has it. And I'm like, I always kind of take a step back. And I'm like, yo, it's, 
it's better that than being wrong. And it's tough when you're almost at the finish line. Um, you're right there. You got a two meter lead. And, and there's the ribbon. And damn it, you can't lunge for it. Um, I call it the Daniel Jones effect. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now look, Daniel Jones stumbled and fell on his face. I just want to make sure I didn't stumble and fall on my face. That's why he wears a helmet. Right. Protect his face there. For all you out there wondering the reference, of course, that's a New York Giants quarterback who was out, had at least a two-meter lead, maybe a 10-meter lead, and just and put, then he fell on his blew a tie. Yeah, with the end zone uh, near. You know, that's interesting because I, you know, I can tell from what, how passionate you are, like breaking stories is a big part of what you do. Yeah. Um, how much of your daily, your weekly is tied into trying to suss out news stories? I mean, I, and how are you even doing that today? Yeah, I mean, it just depends on kind of what's going on, what your day-to-day is. Right now, not much of it is just because I'm kind of all consumed by the postseason. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, and David was asking, you know, what would you do basically from March to July? Part of it was that. I just kind of got on the CFL train. I'm like, all right, what are they going to do? And uh, one of my favorite things to do is get details about a league that uh, that our competitor basically is – um, wants wants to feel proprietary ownership of, and I'm like, I just keep keep at them um, and break stories in their own backyard. That kind of, that kind of gives me a little bit of a rush. Nice. You talked about credibility. Um, just to piggyback off that, what advice would you have for students who are trying to build their own brand? It depends what brand you want to create. Look, to me, the brand you want to have is if I'm, uh, if I'm student uh, Alice or Bob, if I read anything that Alice or Bob writes, reports, presents, they know what they're talking about. What they're going to present to me is something accurate. What they're going to present to me is something that has you know, credibility. Uh, I think that's really important. We're so caught up in Instagram follows and being an influencer and TikTok and the rest. But if you're going to be a sports media person, uh, like I'm not a Skip Bayless guy at all. I don't like the hot take world at all. What I appreciate about Stephen A. Smith is that Stephen A. Smith was first a reporter with a small paper and then a bigger paper. And then he became a columnist in Philadelphia, then a radio talk show host. So much of the hot takes that come from a Stephen A. Smith or a Colin Cowherd are sourced. They're actually talking to people in the know. They're getting player evaluations. They're getting the thought process behind things. It's easy for us to just sit here and have our own hot takes based on what we think we know, based on what we see on television. But if you're going to come up with some kind of opinion, make sure it's Make sure there's some nuance to it. Make sure that, you know, for instance, if I came on a couple of years ago and I said, you know, this offseason, I really believe the Blue Jays are going to be in a position where they're going to trade Russell Martin. I'm not saying that unless I have a feeling that the Blue Jays are going to be trading Russell Martin. And that's based, and I'm not going to say I spoke with so-and-so in the Blue Jays organization and they told me this. I'm going to say, I believe this is what's going to happen. 
I'm led to believe there are conversations being had internally with the Jays about what they're going to do at the catcher position, and they're going to turn the page to Danny Jansen full-time next year, and that means Russ, you know, that's not going to mean something for Russ. So I can just say it, but I will assure you of this, what we think we know is less than 10% of what's actually happening. And all the insiders who we think they know what's going on, they probably know 20% or 30% of what's happening. So make sure whatever you're going to hone in on, that you're not just coming up with it on your own. Throw some different theories out at people and say, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And they say, okay, yeah, you may be on the right track with that, but also remember this and remember that. And we heard that Philly was talking to uh, Tampa about their catcher, so maybe Philly is also in the conversation. So there's a lot that kind of goes into it, but don't just sit at home and come up with your own theories. Um, try and um, try and have some background to it. Try and have some conversations uh, to it so that it comes from a place of knowledge. You know, I think there's a great example there, Rash. Like, I mean, for instance, when the NBA Finals wrapped up, to have been a fly on the wall in the LA Clippers locker room down the stretch. Oh man. Kinda, and like you said, like we might think we know what happened without question, something happened. I mean, here's Teron Lou, the new coach, and he's talking about, no, no, it just had to do with this, you know, of course, taking the high road to move forward. But uh, yeah, there is always that story within the story. And I think as reporters, we try to get it. But I will say this, as we're kind of out of time now, I want to wrap up on this note, because really, I'd say this entire conversation, Arash, is really built up to this one moment, this one final question. Uh-oh. Will there be a miracle in Minneapolis this year? <laughs> the, if there's going to be a miracle in Minneapolis, it means Kirk D. Cousins will no longer be residing in that state. And if that happens, that would be even better than winning a walk-off playoff game on a throw from Keenum to Diggs. That may be the miracle in itself, right? Yes, exactly. Hey, listen, Arash, um, obviously just want to thank you on behalf of David and myself for taking the time to join us today to spreading your insights and wisdoms with an audience that really cares about this stuff. And I think the one thing that I think all of us admire so much about you is just how much you care about your craft and your mm -hmm. and your profession and you care about the people that you have a chance to interact with in the sense that you know you have a real human element to it and uh, I think it's just a pleasure to watch so thank, thanks for all that. the work you do. I appreciate that along the way there have been a lot of people who've helped me out uh, mentors and people have kind of showed me the way especially when I thought I knew everything and in reality I didn't know anything uh, so I'd like to pay it forward and I thought of all people Joe Biagini said this and I think it's very relatable to many industries. He said, the more I learned about pitching, the more I realized how little I know. Mm. And I think that's very, I think that's the same in our industry. I think that's the same in a lot of different industries. And so if you can just try and help people learn and if we can all continue to learn and help get each other better, then we're all winning. Well, great way to end it. Listen, Arash, thanks again. David, as always, just a pleasure having a senior writer on staff with us here on office uh, office hours uh, on behalf of our two esteemed guests uh, and co-hosts. I'm Dan, the Coach Berlin. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.